finding freedom in truth, pursuing truth in scripture. This is the Mormon Hope Podcast with Brandon Vaughn and Dave Malinak. Welcome into episode 27 of the Mormon Hope Podcast. I'm Brandon Vaughn, and normally it would be along with Dave Malinak, but he is not here today. He was not able to make it because we have another special session. In fact, this will be the second time now that we've had a guest on the Mormon Hope Podcast, and I'm so thankful for that. And for those that don't know, uh, Pastor Malinak and I, we are Baptist pastors who live and pastor in the heart of Mormon country, Utah. And so we love to use this podcast as a platform by which to uh, have many conversations that we've had several times one-on-one with our LDS neighbors. And so uh, with that said, we're happy to have Susanna Rolls with us. And uh, Susanna, I just uh, met you for the first time earlier this summer, and uh, you were actually at your home church, Mount Logan Baptist, which is one of the very few Baptist churches we have here in Cache Valley in northeastern Utah. And uh, it was Vision Week, and Pastor Kirkman has uh, potential church planners and preachers come from all over the country. And uh, it was during the middle of the morning service when he asked you to come up and give your testimony. And uh, he mentioned the fact, I think you're 19 years old, right? Is that right? That's correct. You're 19 years old, and you've been saved for a little over a year? Yep. And the more you talked, the more I was asking myself the question, wait a second, he is she really 19? Has she really only been saved for a year? And I was just so blown away with how uh, well-spoken you were. And I knew immediately that if you would be willing to do an interview and share your story uh, about how God saved you and how you came out of Mormonism to become a Christian, I said, I would be more than happy to do an interview with you. And so I'm thankful that we were able to get this worked out and you were willing to do that. And so I always like to start off by just asking the question, just so uh, the audience can get to know you better. Uh, just tell us a little bit about your, your upbringing as a Mormon and just your general background with Mormonism. Yeah, thank you so much. It's absolutely a pleasure and honor to be here and just get to share a little bit of what God's done for me in my life. Um, I was raised in a family that was completely LDS, I think, I have ancestors on both my mom and my dad's side who came from the um, pioneers moving over to Utah. Um, and my grandpa, my great-grandpa, I think on my dad's side, side is the most recent convert. So we're pretty pretty heavy LDS. Um, was raised in that. It was just my life. Um, my mom was a little bit unorthodox. So she she, I guess, started having some questions and she came to some conclusions that weren't standard for LDS theology, but she never really shared that with us um, until later um, in life, I guess. I'm 19. There's not too much <laughs> later. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I went to seminary. I went to church every Sunday, and I was actually probably what they'd call a Molly Mormon um, up until about my second, third year in seminary. Um so I I don't know that's a little bit about me I guess I was from Arizona. So I mean you're a multi yeah. you're a multi generational uh, Mormon. So I mean this goes way back yeah. in your family. And what I was really impressed with and what really stuck out to me in just a few minutes that you gave your testimony at Vision Week is if I remember the story correctly, uh, you visited 
Mount Logan Baptist last year in the middle of COVID when the <laughs> most of the churches were shut down, right? Yeah, that's correct. And I remember you made the statement that the reason you were there is because you were searching for the truth. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I immediately thought to myself, well, if she was visiting a Baptist church looking for truth, then you probably, you had to have felt like that you didn't have the truth. Or there were, there were some questions you had that were unanswered or some things that were unsettled. And so just kind of walk me through that time in your life. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Why were you looking for the truth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of funny because I was looking for the truth, but I didn't expect the Baptists to have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mentioned that I was a, a really good, solid Mormon up until about my second year in seminary, um, which is like a LDS class that... Um, Sorry, it's it's a class that LDS high school students take, and we just go through the standard works, Book of Mormon, New Testament, Old Testament, Doctrine and Covenants, every year of high school. And the second year in seminary was the year that we went over Doctrine and Covenants, and in section 132, talks a lot about sealing. That's basically the one chapter that covers sealing and celestial marriage and stuff like that. And I started having some questions about that, Um if you think about it logically, the doctrine of sealing doesn't make a whole lot of sense along with the three kingdoms theology, just for starters, because if I'm sealed to my parents who are in the celestial kingdom because they, they kept all the, they performed all the ordinances and they were just really good, upright people, but I'm a murderer, I, I'm supposed to be in the celestial kingdom, so it doesn't make sense that I can be with my family forever, but also have, I guess... The, the just rewards and be where I belong for my for my sins, I guess. Now, I want to pause right here for just a minute because uh, obviously me being from the South and having a, a Christian background, we actually have a lot of Christian listeners that listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I already know they're going, what, what in the world is Sorry. that? <laughs> no, no, this is good. This is good. Um, I, I would like to hear a little bit more about the, the doctrine of the sealing mm-hmm. for those that may not be familiar. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it all ties into the three kingdoms. So yeah. you have. And we did and an episode. Yeah. We did an episode about yeah. that recently, about how in Mormon theology, there's actually three levels of heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, but the top kingdom, the celestial, that's, that's the only place where God dwells, if I'm right about that. And then you have the second, third level of heaven. And, and, uh, you know, me being a Baptist, I don't, I don't have it all figured out, but I think that they might let me into the second level. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Probably not. And then you have uh, the third level and then outer darkness. Mm-hmm. But explain how the, the sailing comes into all that. Well, in order to get to the celestial kingdom, you need to be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you're a male, you need to have the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood um, and you need to be endowed. And then the confusing part is that there's actually three divisions in the celestial kingdom. Um, if you're not sealed, and I didn't understand this back then, this is something that I've found out kind of recently, um, you can go to the celestial kingdom, but you'll just be a ministering angel, basically a servant to the people who've attained the top level of the celestial kingdom, which are the people who are sealed. And sealing, what that is, is basically it's marriage, but it's performed in the temple, and it's considered a covenant between a man and a woman and God 
for all eternity. And so, so Mormons believe that when they're sealed, they are married to their spouse forever, and they're bound in a chain up through the generations. And that's why there's sealings for the dead too, not just baptisms for the dead. Um, and also their children are bound to them through that sealing. And so you're sitting in this class, and these things are beginning to trouble you. Like there's some mm-hmm. things that don't add up or just don't seem right. Yeah. What troubled you about that? What bothered you about this whole thing? Well, I believe that God wouldn't give us arbitrary commandments that were unjust and unfair. Um, and I mentioned one problem I had with sealing, but there were also things like a man can be sealed to multiple women, even still not multiple living women, but if their wife dies and they get married again, they yeah. can be sealed to both. But a woman can only be sealed to one man. And I was like, wait, isn't that heaven polygamy? And polygamy, I, I felt was a problem. A lot of LDS people don't. But, um, And I also knew some members of my ward who were adopted from an LDS family who was abusive to them, and they were still sealed to their original abusive family. And I was like, it, it just doesn't make sense. Wow that they'd be sealed to those parents forever. So those things weighed on my mind, but I was like, you know, I trust the scriptures. If the scriptures say that sealing is legit, even if I, even if it doesn't make sense to me, I'll believe it and I'll go with it. Um, Because I asked my seminary teachers if they could explain some of the discrepancies and they're just like, oh, God will figure it out later. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. That doesn't seem right to me. That's a non-answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, now when you say, what do the scriptures say? Mm-hmm. That's what I'll be okay with. As a Mormon, uh, when you say the scriptures, did you mean uh, strictly the Bible, or did that include the Book of Mormon and Doctrines and Covenants? <laughs> it was all of the above. So, okay. Yeah. Um, I went through the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants, and I looked for every single reference to eternal marriage or sealing that I could find. And what I found, even in LDS canon, is that there are only three sections, three chapters in all of that that even talk about sealing in context. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And the only one that actually describes what it is, is Doctrine and Covenants section 132, as I mentioned earlier. Um, But what I found, and I don't even know how I found this, (laughs) but looking at section 132, um, it was actually only put in the Doctrine and Covenants in 1876, I want to say, which was like 32 years after Joseph Smith had died. Yeah. And when they put that one in, they took out a different section of Doctrine and Covenants. Section 101 is what it used to be. And what Section 101 said was basically that marriage was between one man and one woman until death do us part. And that it even says, I think, for as much as this church has been reproached with polygamy or something like that. We, we declare that polygamy is not, not what we do. Um, yeah. And you can look that up on the Joe Smith papers. It's, it's publicly available, that section. So what you were being taught really didn't necessarily even fall in line with what was in the writings. Yeah. Yep. And so you didn't get the answers that you wanted, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're battling with these things. You're, you're searching for truth. COVID hits and like so many other churches, the Mormon church shuts mm-hmm. down for quite a long time. And, and so you thought, well, I, maybe I'll visit another church since <laughs> our church isn't meeting. And so, so just walk us through the process of how you became a Christian. Um, what, <laughs> I'm kind of curious to hear what your first experience in the Baptist church was like. 
So just kind of walk us through that. Okay, sounds good. Um, yeah, so I moved up to Utah to go to school last year in July, right at the beginning. Um, and like you mentioned, the LDS church was shut down the first Sunday I was there, and I was like, well, I want to go to church anyway. It was honestly kind of a rebellion thing. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sit at home. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, I'm not that goody-two-shoes Mormon anymore. You could tell because I was using the word Mormon still, and that's that's taboo now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, so I just um, rode my little scooter down to Mount Logan, and I was I got there early because I was hoping that I could sneak in and sit in the back. And based on my experience in LDS churches, nobody would notice, nobody would talk to me, and I could just, you know, observe from the sidelines. But as didn't soon, happen that way, did no, it? No. As soon as I rode down the street, there two people opened the door for me, and they're like, "Wow, that's such a cool <laughs> ride." Um, and I was gonna park my scooter outside, and they're like, "No, I'll take it inside. You know, we don't want anybody to steal it or anything like that." Um, just the smiles and the handshakes and the, the spirit of love that I felt the first time I walked up to that building was incredible. And that impacted me very profoundly. Um, there are two other things that impacted me positively in that very first time I stepped in. And there was some stuff that I thought was super weird, too. <laughs> oh, I'm but these, sure there these were. three things were what kept me coming back Um throughout the rest of the week and I guess even to this day. And the first one was, like I said, the love that the people had for me and that I could tell that they had for each other. Secondly was a love and a worship for Jesus Christ that was like nothing I'd ever experienced. And it was something that I'd hungered for in my soul. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was incredible to me just as the pastor stood up and he was like, we're singing, you know, to God and we're praying to God and everything we do is for him. And if his spirit's not here, we're doing it in vain. That was very meaningful to me and then the last thing that impressed me deeply was um I'd been trying to study the bible for two years independently before I moved up to Utah and it was like it was in one ear and straight out the other I got I got nothing out of it it was um yeah not not particularly enlightening and then I'd also noticed that in LDS churches even when people gave talks or like when the president of the church, prophet, whatever, um, would would share it, he wouldn't actually reference scripture. If he did, it was like out of context. And that really bothered me because it sounded like he was acting on his own th- authority and his own words more than on the word of scripture. Even though as a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, the authority of the scripture is not as strong as it is to me now. Really quickly before we mm-hmm. continue with that thought, I'm, I would like for our listeners to hear it from somebody that's been there. But, but kind of walk us through a, a Sunday service in the Mormon church as compared to, like, the Baptist church. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I can tell you because I also went to an LDS service the week afterwards. I went to both the Baptist church and the LDS church the week immediately after. Um and differences when I, I don't want to sound like I'm just hating on them or comparing the bad stuff. But when I walked up to the door, there wasn't anybody there who greeted me or shook my hand or opened the door. And I asked where to go, and they were like, not particularly helpful. I don't know. So, and I actually sat down in the service. And whenever new members are transferred into the ward, the bishop will stand up and read the roster and be like, these people have been. 
um, added to the roll, and then they'll ask him to stand so that people can see who they are. And they said he he listed my name, and then he looked around and he's like, "Well, looks like she's not here today." And, <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah. But so a normal LDS service, you have um, your opening song, you have an opening prayer, then you have announcements given by the bishop, you have another song, and then they have the sacrament at every single service. So your um, Aaronic priesthood and Melchizedek priests, as far as LDS understand them, will break the bread, bless the water, and then they pass it around. Um, and after that, you have talks. So there will be two to three talks just given by lay people in the church um, on assigned topics from the bishop. And then you'll have another song and a closing prayer, and that's it for the sacrament meeting. There are also Sunday school and young women's or young men's type lessons. Um but that's as far as the so they wouldn't have the, what we would consider the preaching. I mean, the bishop doesn't get up no, there. No, never. <laughs> okay, I see. That's just so foreign to I know to me and yeah. what I know. And but uh, so you said the three things that really stuck out to you when you went, went to uh, Mount Logan Baptist mm-hmm. was the love, mm-hmm. the worship, and what was the third thing you mentioned? Um, just when, when the pastor preached, he like preached straight from the scriptures. <laughs> and I remember the first sermon that I went to, it was just about like the 10 lepers or something like that. Something I'd heard over and over and over again. I knew the story, but it blew my mind. Like I called my mom and I told her about, it. I was like, look, he took this super simple scripture that we've heard a million times and he just brought so much more out of it that I'd never seen before. And that's been the case in the whole last year that I've been going. Um, so the, the last point was that the preaching of God's word in a way that was easy to understand and applicable was incredible to me. And and hearing that come from you, being raised a Mormon and, and looking for truth, uh, that's such a challenge and, a, and an encouragement to me. Yeah. And I, I would encourage my Christian brethren, my pastor friends, preachers out there. That's pretty. That's a pretty simple formula: <laughs> love people, worship God, preach truth. Yeah. It's always worked. It, it will always work, and so uh, it doesn't take a lot of gimmicks. And uh, you notice you didn't you didn't talk about you know the amazing lights or <laughs> the special effects or you know it was just simple. I really yeah. like that. So I guess you keep going to Mount Logan. Is that correct? I mean, you, were you pretty faithful there in the beginning, or you just yeah. Vision Week, you mentioned that that's where you heard me tell my story, but actually the week that I came the first time was Vision Week. Really? And I didn't realize how special that was, but it's it's no coincidence, I know that for a fact, that the first day I came was the first day of Vision Week. And that first day brought me, I was just, I was hungry. Like, I'd, I'd gotten a little bit of the Word of God, and I just, I needed more. Like, I craved that. And so I went to almost every single service of Vision Week. And like you said, it's it's for evangelists coming out to the West. And so they talk a lot about like Mormonism, yeah. not always in a 100% positive light, but it, <laughs> it didn't sure. bother me. Like what I'd experienced was so refreshing that the other things didn't, didn't matter to me because yeah. I was just hungry for truth and for God's word. So how long did it take? What was that process like from the first time you go and you you hear the preaching and you continue to go. What was that journey like and how long did it take from that point to the time that you became a Christian, <laughs> till the God saved you? Um, 
Well, it was it was that week, basically. Um, I kept on coming back to the preaching, and there's an invitation. By the way, Mormons don't have invitations. That was very strange and different to me. But, you know, during the invitation, the pastor will ask, you know, if you don't know 100%, if you died today, that you'd go to heaven, you know, like, come talk to us or raise your hand or something like that. And so throughout the week, as I kept on hearing the preaching of God's Word and the invitations and the music, too, um, I remember standing there one of those days, and they sang, I know my name is there. You know, yeah. my name is in the Book it's of Life. a beautiful song, yeah. And I, I can sing it, because I didn't know. <laughs> and so that was the moment, the first moment I remember that I was like, there's something missing that I don't have. Um, and that actually stemmed from my questions about sealing, because I realized that if I didn't believe in sealing, I couldn't be sealed. And so I, I didn't think at the time that I'd be worthy to go to the celestial kingdom. And when I looked at that and I was like, well, when I think about it, regardless of the ceiling, do I deserve to be in the presence of God with eternal joy, you know, forever? And I looked at myself and my sin, even though I was a good Mormon, and I saw that my desires, my actions, though not what we would consider evil, I was, I was spotted. I was unclean and I didn't deserve to dwell in the presence of God. Yeah. So... That was part of the, the truth, I guess, that impressed me when I came to Mount Logan. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty immediate. I mean, you, yeah. this wasn't something <laughs> that you fought or put off. I mean, you, you recognized it. Kind Well, no, I did actually fight it because I, I felt, what is it that Saul, the angel says to Saul? He says, um, you can't kick against the pricks, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I was kicking against the pricks like <laughs> half the week. So the Sunday right after the first Sunday I came, um, they had uh, one of the visiting preachers just gave a really good sermon about the atonement. And then there was some special music in the invitation. And the invitation went long, and he kept on asking. He's like, if you if you don't know, just come, step down, come down to the altar. And I remember I was holding onto the chair in front of me so <laughs> tightly. And I took one step, one step out, and then I stepped back. It was over back. after that. Oh, did you? I did, yeah. Yeah, it was just so different. And so scary that I couldn't do it. But I knew that day, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so when pastor's wife came by, I asked if I could talk to her. Um, and she just showed me, you know, the Romans road, if you're, you know, Christian, yeah. you're familiar with that. Um, and that the way to salvation was through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not because I'd already realized that my goodness and my works were not not sufficient to yeah. measure up to, to God's standard. And so it was through that. And I also remember that the youth choir was up there singing like these songs again and again. And like the, the value of one, I don't know if everybody oh, yeah, that's listening. A great song. Yeah, yeah. And just every time they sing a song, like I couldn't help myself. Like the tears were just flooding down my face. Um, yeah. And so that was the day that, that I got saved. And it was just realizing I guess for the LDS listeners, for me, salvation was realizing that my works were not enough and that Jesus Christ had already paid the full penalty for my sins so that I could live in the presence of him and the Father forever, not based on my goodness, but on his. Before we talk about your life since you've been saved, I would like just for a few minutes to talk about the difference between the Mormon gospel and the biblical gospel. What did you recognize that week as being different from what you've been taught your whole life? In other words, 
if you were a Mormon and you were trying to teach me how to get to heaven, how to make it to the top level, yeah, what would, how would that conversation go? So if I were trying to get you to exaltation, I guess, yeah. not salvation because that's a different thing. Yeah, and, but. and me and Pastor Malin have talked about that before. The, the Mormon gospel is really more about exaltation mm-hmm. than it is salvation. But how would you describe the differences between, and that's the question we get a lot. And in fact, we just went out, we had a, a table for our church out on the day on the quad. Yeah. And I actually had three young Mormon students come up and ask me, what's the difference between your message and ours? And so uh, I don't know. They might have regretted asking it. I don't know. But uh, Can't unhear it. <laughs> yeah, what's the difference between the two Gospels? When you talk to a member of the church, it will be very confusing. Um, in my personal experience, talking to even just my family after I was saved and trying to explain to them what happened because they they believe in Jesus too. Um And what I've found is that the difference really does lie in salvation and exaltation. LDS believe that everybody, except for like pretty much Judas Iscariot and Cain, have received salvation. And that is being in a level of three kingdoms. And I know you guys have talked a little bit about that. But exaltation is being at the top level of the top kingdom. And in order to go to the top level of the celestial kingdom... You have to, like I said before, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, um, endure to the end. Um, Faith and repentance are also listed in that, just so you're aware. But I guess what I'd say the difference is is that members of the church, um, they have eternal marriage and endowment and all these ordinances, and they have Jesus. Christians have Jesus, and he is everything, and he's more than enough. Amen. And what I find, really, and this is true of every religious group that I've ever met outside of Orthodox Christianity, but they may tell you that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, but then they have all these lists of things that you have to do to get to Jesus. (laughs) And for the Mormons, uh, I was actually, I had a conversation with a guy the other day that was telling me that, uh, and he was a little bit offended uh, because he was saying that, you know, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We believe that just like you guys do. And then I asked him, well, can you make it to the celestial kingdom without the sacraments and the temple work? And I listed all this, and he just silenced. He didn't say anything. Yeah. And so it is. It is through Christ alone, by grace, through faith, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we could ever add to or take away what Jesus has done, both on the cross and through the empty tomb. And uh, that's the difference. Uh, and, yeah. and the thing is, people hear that, if they're not familiar with it, they hear that and they think, well, that can't be it, because you just can't live any which way you want to. Mm-hmm. And I would agree with that. Absolutely. But I don't work in order to be saved. I work because I am saved. Yeah. And I serve God not because I'm trying to earn brownie points, but because I love him and I'm grateful mm-hmm. for what he's done for me. And to me, that just makes all the difference in the world. Now, I want to ask just a couple of more questions on this thought, and then I want to talk about your life since you've been saved. But did you ever experience any of the, the burning in the bosom or any of, any of those things? Um, my testimony of the Book of Mormon was as solid as a rock. And I, I don't remember too many super spiritual experiences to be honest with you 
in the sense that probably Christians and LDS would call feeling the spirit. I've experienced that significantly more in, you know, my Christian Baptist church now than I ever did back then as far as church services go. But I do remember back when I was doing temple service, like baptisms for the dead, that I would kind of like imagine or feel like I could almost kind of see these spirits like coming down and getting baptized basically. And then they'd like poof back up to heaven, you know? (laughs) So I I believe that that was real. Um, Yeah. I was also involved in some other, it's called energy work, I guess, back before I was Christian. And it's, it's, I don't know, operates on a very similar concept. It's Maybe we shouldn't get into that. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah, but I think there is an aspect of the LDS church that makes you more likely to go into that kind of spiritualism, I guess. Yeah, and I guess coming from the South, which is a totally different culture, Yeah. I guess I was kind of surprised at how uh, spiritual, mystical the Mormons can be. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to so many that gave that testimony about, uh, you know, about the burning in the bosom or the... You know, maybe seeing an angel that told him Joseph Smith was a true prophet yeah. and the Book of Mormon was true and all that kind of like I never would have imagined uh, that being in the Mormon culture, but it's a, a huge part of it. Absolutely. But um, I want to talk a little bit about the time since you've been saved. Um, what's your life been since then in the year, a little over a year that you've been saved? How has it affected you as far as your, your family or maybe the culture here or the community mm-hmm. that you grew up in? I mean, how, how has that been? This is typically one of the first questions that Christians ask. And to be honest with you, my family has been really supportive. I know that when I got baptized, um, a lot of them did not like it, but still everybody's been really supportive and loving. I would say that the biggest difference in my life based on my conversion is in my life, not in the way necessarily that my family and my friends have treated me. Um, I kind of just want to say this for anybody out there who's LDS and is maybe starting to lean more in a mainstream Christian direction or anybody who has just become Christian. And that is that they're, uh, it's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) And I know I'm super, super blessed, but there are so many questions and struggles that come from that total psychological, spiritual change of reference point. It's, it doesn't happen overnight. I'm, I'm still in that process. There are still things that confuse me. And I and dis, disquiet me, I guess. And it's nice because it, it forces me to turn to my Bible and study and learn these things for myself. But there, there have been a lot, of, a lot of dark times since I was saved. And I'm grateful for every single one of those because I can see how that has given me an opportunity to better relate to to others and it's like i said forced me to have i guess the apologetics for myself and then oh, to yeah. be able to share that with others yeah well i mean even in my situation um yeah i was actually raised in the church of christ which is uh, you know they believe in baptismal regeneration and not only be baptized in water but also to be baptized into the church <laughs> and the first time I the first time I walked into a Baptist church, I was fourteen years old, and so that was a huge different experience for me. Yeah. 
But I knew, I knew the first the first time I heard the true gospel, <laughs> I got saved, and I remember praying and I said, God, I I don't know anything. I don't know how to pray. I don't know anything about yeah. your word. Yeah. I don't know, and I felt so weird because here I am, supposedly getting saved by faith, and I'm like. Lord, do I have to be baptized to be saved or do I? Yes, absolutely. Like, I, I didn't know what to do with my you hands. Know you know nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know nothing after you come yeah. from that point. You've got and to start so from what, scratch. what I had to do, it was a process of, I had to unlearn yeah. a lot of the things that I had learned in order to learn the right things. Yeah. And so I, I'm sure that my experience wasn't to the same level as yours, but I, I get where you're coming from. And that really though, no matter what our background is, I mean, even if somebody wasn't relay, uh, raised in a religious home anyway, yeah. they still have to unlearn some things and some patterns of behavior. And that's the whole process of God sanctifying us and where, where he increases and we decrease. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, well, that's wonderful. Um, I did want to ask, though, too, and I, I was going to ask this earlier, it slipped my mind, but as a Mormon, did you ever get to a place where you felt like, you're going to get to the celestial kingdom at the top level. Did you ever feel settled in that? Or was it something you battle with? Because the thing that I've asked Mormons and I don't really think that they have given me a great answer because <laughs> they don't seem too confident themselves, but how can you really know? I mean, how can you go to bed at night and know I've done enough? I've checked enough boxes. I, I, I'm going to make it, you know, <laughs> how did you feel about that? Well, I guess technically I never did check all the boxes because I wasn't endowed and I wasn't sealed. Um, but I never, I never really thought about it. It didn't bother me up until, like I said, that last year or two of seminary, um, because it's not like a Baptist church where you know your pastor asks, like, "Are you sure? Do you know that you know that you know? If you died today, you'd you'd go to heaven." Nobody asks that question. It's it's assumed everybody goes to yeah. heaven, and if you're a good person, basically, you'll go to the best level that you can. Hell's not a question, you know. So it was honestly much more after I got saved that that became a major concern to me, obviously, and, you know, before I got saved, right before. But no, that that didn't bother me. But it might just have been because I was I was too young yeah. for that to be a concern for me at that point. For our LDS listeners that are listening to this podcast right now as a, a former Mormon who is now a born again Christian, what would you want them to know? What would you want to say to them? Um, there's one thing that's really important to me. I had a couple other thoughts. I can't remember, but something that I've asked a lot of my LDS friends and family that they don't have an answer to. And I would say that this answer is the most important answer that you can possibly know is um, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, sorry, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Yeah. Um, and Jesus said in his mortal ministry, when his disciples asked him, Are there few that be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, broad is the gate that entereth, that leadeth to destruction and basically few there be that find eternal life. Yeah. And if I know you guys believe the Bible 
to an extent at least. And that's, that's very clear. Unfortunately, it does say that hell is real and that the majority of people are going there. And so if that is true, I'd encourage you to look at your beliefs and think about how that measures up to what the Bible actually says. Because if hell is real, um, I'd want to know that I'm not going there. You yeah. know, That's the reason we do this podcast, because we want to... We want to have these conversations. We want to get the truth out. And and one thing that's just amazed me about Mormonism, having lived here for about a year and a half myself, it is the only religion in the United States that controls a geographic region. Hmm. And I, I'm sure that anybody would agree with the fact that just because you're raised up into something doesn't automatically mean that it's right or that it's true. Yeah. And I've always believed that truth never fears a challenge. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what our background is, Church of Christ, Mormon, uh, Catholic, atheist. We ought to have these questions. What is truth? Yeah. Is there a God? If there is, who is he? What is he like? Yeah. And if you read the Bible, it doesn't take you very long to realize that God, the biblical God, is a God of holiness. He's a God of justice and a God of wrath. And he cannot even tolerate one sin, not yeah. one. That's why Adam and Eve were cast out of his presence for one, one act of disobedience, yeah. along with all of their descendants, which would include us. And, and if we don't have a concept, and see, me and, me and Pastor Malinek have actually done quite a few episodes on this, of the person of God and the afterlife and hell and all this. What you believe about the afterlife really says a whole lot about who you believe God to be. Yeah. And it's not injustice. Yeah, it's not. It's perfection. It is perfect justice. You're absolutely right about that. And I've often given the illustration about standing before a judge. I mean, even in the state of Utah, you know, if you were to kill somebody and you had all the evidence to convict you and you stood before a judge here in the state of Utah, convicted by a jury of your peers, and it's time for sentence, and the judge says, well, you know, we've got all the the evidence against you, we know you're guilty. We know you committed this crime, but I'm such a loving judge. I'm so yeah. loving and forgiving that I'm just going to let you walk out the back door free. That is injustice. And God is not a God of injustice. And true love always requires justice. And so if I guess if we were going to close out this episode by giving the necessity of Jesus, is God is so holy that he can't sweep sin under the rug. He must judge it. His holy yeah. nature requires it. But he's also so loving that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, not a created being, but the eternal second person of the Godhead. Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, the creator entered into his own creation through the womb of a virgin. He lived a sinless, perfect life that we could never live, fulfilled the just demands of God's law, died on the cross in our place, taking our sins in his body on the tree. God the Father slaying his son, the wrath that we deserve. In fact, quite honestly, and I've asked this question, I've never gotten a good answer. If, if God is not a God of wrath, and if he is not a God of justice, and if there is no hell, what did Jesus die such a horrible death to save us from? Yeah. And I've often said, if, if you want to see what God thinks about sin... 
Look at what he did to Jesus on the cross. But if you want to know what God thinks about sinners, look at what he did for sinners on the cross. And so the cross is God's intersection between his love and his justice, his mercy and his wrath. And, of course, we know three days later he rose from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And if we would just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we would, if we would cast all of our sin upon him, all of our hope for salvation on him, that is the good news of the gospel. We couldn't possibly, add, what could we possibly add to that? The death of God on the cross and him raising from the dead. That is the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. That's a simple message. It's as simple as that because he's done everything. He's done everything. And so um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, I mean, I just feel so encouraged. (laughs) Uh, You have just blessed my heart. um, And I know it's going to be a huge encouragement, not only... Uh, to the LDS listeners, but also to all of our Christian listeners as well. Uh, I never, I never get tired of hearing how God saves people. Absolutely. And uh, my my heart, my prayer, not only for this podcast, for our church here at Grace in Logan, for Mount Logan Baptist, and and all of the Christian ministries here and abroad, is that people looking for the truth like you were can find it in his word through the love of God's people, through the worship of the one true God and through the preaching of his word. I love that. (laughs) I love that. And so, uh, Susanna, did you have anything else that you wanted to to say or? Yeah. Let me just two things that I've been thinking about. Um, just for, again, LDS people looking for truth, say that I've, I've looked at so many things, um, you know, after I became Christian, I was on the internet a lot looking at what would be termed like anti-Mormon sites and just, just seeking what have, what people said about the truth. And I found that no matter how much I did that, I learned things, but I always felt disquieted. What's always given me peace and guidance is the Bible, the Word of God. You yeah. need to have something to build your foundation on or else you'll fall. And that's that's been the best thing that I've found and the only thing that I can rely on for the pure Word of God. And then the second thing that I was going to say is, you know, a lot of Mormons believe that they're Christians. I did too. So I just want to say that the difference for me between then and now is that before I called myself a Christian, but now Jesus Christ is everything in my life. Um, even when, even when I'm disobedient, it's like he won't leave me alone. And I'm so grateful for that, but he's been there when I've needed him. And I know that I can call on his name anytime for anything. It's incredible. So just, it's, he's changed my heart, I guess, is the way that I can say it. Um, And he's everything. So I just want to encourage you to make sure that he's your everything. And it's not something that you do by being more and being better. It's something that he makes you when you rely fully on him because you realize that you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. So that's all. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a huge blessing and an encouragement. I can't wait to uh, get this edited and put it out. And so uh, thank you so much, Susanna. Uh, next week, Pastor Malinette will be back with me. And, of course, after this interview, y'all will be wanting Susanna to be the co-host. <laughs> but um, we're going to talk about the subject of sin. 
and what is it, what it's not, how it's affected us, how it's affected society, and what God thinks about it, how to be delivered from it, all those questions. And so uh, be sure to tune in for the next episode. But until then, uh, you can reach out if you want to. Uh, we always love to hear your comments, criticisms, questions. Uh, you can go to our church website, which is gracebaptistlogan.org, or my personal email address is preacherofgrace at yahoo.com. Uh, until next week, we love you and God bless.